That should be the cry of all of our hearts. Amen. Come and be different. Change us, rearrange us, make us the way that God you want us to be. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles tonight. We're going to be reading from 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 27. We're not going to read it all in one reading, but we are going to be looking at those scriptures tonight. What a great day it's been. We had a great week of camp. God blessed while we were down there. Had a rededication of a life. Had uh, some fun times. Got to hear some great preaching. And uh, just enjoy one another. It was very very much a blessing this week to be down there. We appreciate your prayers, Zion Baptist. Thank you for lifting us up. Thank you for lifting the students up. And thank you for being faithful to come back to the house of the Lord tonight as well. As we read these scriptures tonight, I want to begin with this question. Uh, And I think it's very fitting for Emily's song about being different. Um, I didn't realize she was going to sing that song, so that's good. Praise the Lord. And uh, this question I want to give you is, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Now, for most of us, when we wake up in the morning, there are some that probably don't. We look in the mirror, don't we? We want to make sure we look okay. Something's up there that's not supposed to be there. Or, you know, we need to rearrange, make some adjustments, whatever that may look like. We take that time and we analyze and we look at ourselves. It's an important thing to do. And today as we read from 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to be looking at an individual. His name is Naaman. And we're going to specifically be looking at the interaction that takes place between him and the man of God. Now, before we really get this going, the story going, I want to identify some characters to you. I want to introduce you to some people here. So it kind of helps set the stage and you understand why Naaman does what he does and why he says what he says. So if we could, I would like to go ahead and read beginning in verse number 1 and we're going to stop at verse number 7. And the Bible says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. And then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him from his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus, said this girl, who is from the land of Israel. And then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten, thousand, or ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel and said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened that when the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends me a man to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how how he seeks a quarrel with me. In verse 8 as well. And so it was that when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Let's pray. God, we thank you today 
for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your servants that are here. God, we ask you to be with all those who are sick. We ask you, God, to put a special hand and touching upon Pastor Keith tonight as he is at home not feeling well. Lord, we just pray that you would move in power in his body. Lord, we pray that he would have a time of rest and rejuvenation and that, God, you would just do a great work. Lord, for those who are also sick on the list, we lift them up to you. And, God, tonight I lift up every person that is here, that, God, their ears would be open, their hearts would be open, their minds would be open to your word. God, I pray that I would decrease and that, God, you would increase. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to introduce you to the place. We're going to set the stage. We're going to talk about the setting here real quickly. The Bible says, and and this story takes place in the land of Israel. Now this land of Israel is post-King David, the greatest king of Israel. The king who would say, uh, who would seek after God's heart. Who would, uh, when he would mess up, would go to the Lord in repentance and try to make things right. That king is gone, and now the kingdom is split. They've had many kings, they've had many prophets, and many of them have led the people away from God. Many of them have led the people to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so now I want to introduce you to some of these people within this story. First off, there is Naaman. He is the commander of the army of the king of Syria, and he was afflicted by leprosy. Not only Naaman, you see... The young slave girl, she was taken into captivity from her homeland. We see the king of Syria, the king of Israel, Elisha the prophet. And there's one more person we didn't get to. His name is Jehazi. And he is the servant to the man of God. Now Naaman is is sick. The Bible tells us he had leprosy. And he needs to get better. He has a physical ailment. And that's all that he can see that's wrong with him. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of people out here in the world that have a physical ailment. But there's also a lot of people out there that have a spiritual ailment as well. And that spiritual ailment is sin. They are captivated and captured by that sin, that sickness of sin. And what they don't realize is that while the body gets better and sometimes it does not get better, the soul will go on a continual continual downward spiral if it's captured by sin. And there is no hope for that person. There is no peace for that person who's captured by sin. There's no joy. There is no life Uh, true life afterwards. There's only separation. Leprosy was going to kill Naaman, make no mistake about it, but there was a bigger consequence for his soul and a bigger uh, death that he would receive and separation that he would receive, and that is for his soul. So this morning, or this evening, excuse me, as we look at and ask ourselves this question, as we look in the mirror, I want to examine four things that we can see within the story of Naaman. I want to examine four things. First off, I want us to look at his condition. Secondly, I want us to see his coming. Third, we're going to look at the command. We're going to hear the command that he hears. And finally, we're going to see the conversion that takes place. Now, you've heard uh, that saying that says, don't judge a book by its cover. Heard that before. And you've also heard there's more to it than meets the eye, right? And that basically says to us that, hey, there's a little bit more here that you don't realize. There's things on the inside that you don't realize just by looking at the outside. You can look at an automobile and go shopping for an automobile, and that thing can be perfect looking. But on the inside, it can have some major, major issues. And with Naaman, this is the commander of the army of Syria. He is a great man. The Bible says that he is a great man. He's an honorable man. He is a man of valor. On the outside, he looks pretty good. 
On the outside, he's been a very victorious man. On the outside, he's been a very successful man. He's well thought of in his community. He's well thought of by his king. But yet, underneath, he's got something going on, internal or externally, and that is that leprosy. Now, without going into great detail of what leprosy is, basically leprosy is the equivalent of a dead man walking. Their skin literally boils and uh, oozes, and it's a horrible disease that does not happen instantly. It takes time. It causes great suffering, great pain that it brings with it. And yet here is Naaman, and he is still going and still doing things. Naaman did not have only an external problem. He had that internal problem of sin. And ladies and gentlemen, there is people all around us, people all around us that suffer with this problem of sin. They're gripped by it. They're bound by this problem of sin. But you know what? The Bible tells us in Matthew 28 and 19, it says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, so go. Jesus tells us the disciples here, tells his disciples to go and do what? To share the gospel with the people, with the nations, with anyone and everyone who will hear. And Naaman, ladies and gentlemen, needs to hear something. We're going to read about that in just a moment. He needs to hear something more than the fact that he's just sick. And I'm here tonight to tell you that your neighbors, your friends, your family members, they need to hear more from us because we know more. We have knowledge. We know that the world is affected by sin. And what do we do for our neighbors? What do we do for our family members? What do we do for our loved ones if we don't tell them that they're sick? What are we doing for them if we don't tell them that they need Jesus? What are we, what's our part to play? Well, we know, and therefore there is a responsibility there. There is a responsibility to share. God has commissioned you and I. If I were to ask you tonight, what things shake you? What things move you? What things motivate you? We could say all kinds of things. Politics, hunting, fishing, shopping, all kinds of things. But ladies and gentlemen, there are people all around us who are like Naaman, who are found in his condition, who, have, who might look good on the outside, but on the inside they're ravaged by sin. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the body of Christ ought to move us. That ought to shake us. That ought to motivate us to do what with this knowledge that we have? To tell somebody. To share with somebody. Hey, listen. If I had water up here and you were thirsty and I chose not to give it to you, that'd be a pretty shoddy thing to do, would it not? And ladies and gentlemen, we have living water if you have the scriptures, if you have the Bible, if you've received Jesus, you have life. And therefore, therefore, it leads us to our second point. Read back with me in verse number three. The Bible says, then, or uh, in verse number two, I'm sorry, and the Syrians had gone to the raid, or gone out on raids and brought back a young girl from the land of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, Naaman would hear from this young girl about a healing that he needed. He needed healing for his leprosy. And what does she say to her, to her master? She says, well, listen, uh, if only my master would go to the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him. Well, Naaman, of course, hey, I'm sick and I need to be healed, so I'm going to go check this thing out. Naaman went over there to get what he wanted to get. And oftentimes people come into the house of God only wanting to get what they 
want to get. Oftentimes people come into the house saying, oh, I just, I need to make an appearance or I need to be seen or I need to have somebody to pray for me, but they're not thinking about the bigger picture and they're not thinking about uh, coming into the house of God and receiving what God has to say for them in that relationship context. And Naaman here is the perfect picture of the person who is not only selfish looking what for himself, but he's also the perfect person saying, hey, I can fix myself. I can do this on my own. How do we know that? He brings a whole lot of money with him. He's going to exchange his goods. He's going to sit there and say, you know what? Man of God, uh, I'm going to pay you with all this money and then you'll be well compensated for healing me. But we all know, you and I know, that there is no payment that can be made on our behalf to purchase the ultimate healing for our soul. Jesus made that purchase. Jesus' blood bought you and I. Only Jesus, only by his blood have we been healed and redeemed from the curse of sin. But I want you to notice this young girl that I introduced you to for just a moment. As we look and we examine ourselves in the mirror, I want you to ask yourself, am I like this young girl? Consider her situation, if you would, please. Here she is. She's in her home, land. She's with her family. And then all of a sudden, her world turns upside down. Have you ever met anybody whose world has been turned upside down? Yes, you have. Maybe your world has been turned upside down before. And here she is, ripped away, literally from her family, from her friends, from her all that she had known, all that she had gotten used to, all that was comfortable and familiar with her. In this land where she loved the Lord and loved her family, she is taken away. So what does she do? What would you do? What would I do? It would be easy to fall into that pit of negativity, would it not? It'd be easy to say that God has abandoned you, would it not? It would be easy to say that some tragedy fell me and now you're, befell me and now you're a victim because you've been ripped away. But she demonstrates something, ladies and gentlemen, that I believe. Friends, I believe that God, it's a picture for what you and I should be like. We should be compelled to be like. Clearly, if you go back into verse number 3, you can see the care that she has for her master. If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. She cared about him. Now, we know Naaman was a good man. We know he was a man of valor and integrity and all these other things, but she cared about her master, and that care was evident. Ladies and gentlemen, is there evidence of care in our lives? When we look in the mirror and we examine ourselves and we examine our intentions, we examine what motivates us. You know, we said just a moment ago, what shakes you? Does care for other people move you? Does care for the lost propel you and motivate you to go out? This young girl was moved. See, in the middle of her mess, there was a message. In the middle of her tribulation, there was a testimony and you know what? She never stopped believing in the Lord God. She was in a land of darkness. She was in Syria. She was in a foreign land. She was in captivity. If anybody had a right to be negative, did she not? If anybody had a right to be down, did she not? And she was a slave. Here she is, life changed. And what does she do? She cares for someone. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Our world could be turned up on its head. And it's what we do in those moments, how we respond. 
which is how the world sees whether the God that we claim and the God that we say that we love and the God that we say that we hold on to is really true or not by our actions. Is it not? This young girl finds herself in the middle of captivity, in the middle of a, of a dark place, and what does she do? She cares for her master and she says something. She shares some vital, vital information. Remember I told you that cup of water, if you had life-giving water and it was right there in front of you and you could share it with somebody, would you share it and would you tell them that this gives you life? As we examine ourselves in the mirrors, in our mirrors, in our heart mirror, in our, in our lives, in our thoughts, and our intentions, do we ask ourselves, do we say, do I care when it comes to those people? Her caring, ladies and gentlemen, was evidenced by her sharing. Her care was evidenced by the fact that she shared with Naaman's wife, hey, there's a prophet in Israel, and you know what? He can heal your husband. He's got the power. Ultimately, she wasn't referencing just the power to heal. She was referencing the authority of God that was present. Remember I told you in the beginning there was a king of Israel. And remember I told you in the beginning that these kings would lead the people away and that they would lead the people to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And this king right here now, while we don't know exactly who he is, there's some debate on who he is. It was an evil king and he was leading the people of Israel to go away from God. But Elisha, the man of God, was still moving in power and authority in the land that God had given these people and there was a light shining in the darkness and she knew it and she told people about it. Ladies and gentlemen, your world may seem dark. If you watch Fox News, CNN, CBS, whatever it is, what news channel, doesn't matter. The news seems dark. It's always heavy and it's always negative and it's all this anger and animosity and you, when you look at it, do you feel depressed? You sure do. Do you get frustrated? You do. Is it hard to really find joy when you look at the news? Yeah. But I'm going to tell you all something. There is a light that is still shining and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. There's nothing that's going to be reported on Fox News, CNN, CBS, or any of those other news outlets that compare, that can compare, that can overcome the glorious light of our Lord Jesus. And this young girl is the perfect picture of what you and I, the church, should look like. In the middle of captivity, in the middle of a difficult situation, she saw the light. She never stopped seeing the light, even though her situation changed. She never stopped thinking about the light, even though she was in bondage and captivity. And you know what she did? she told somebody who was in darkness about the light. When it comes to examining ourselves in the mirror, are we interested in telling the people around us who we know are in darkness about the light? Does that compel us? Does that move us? Notice, Elisha told the king of Israel there in verse number 8 and 9, he said, or 8, excuse me, he said, uh, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him, that's Naaman, come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel, or he shall know that there is a man of God in Israel, or he shall know that God is still on the throne, even though there's an evil one, even though there's one who's leading people away, even though there's one who is doing what is terrible in the sight of the Lord, there's still somebody 
who's listening to God and somebody who's believing in God and somebody who is walking in the authority of God. And I want to ask you something. As we go out into the workplace, as we raise up our families, are we living like we are those people who have seen the light and who have grabbed hold of the light and who has the light dwelling within us even in the dark places? This young girl, she calls us to be challenged This young girl should cause us to reevaluate. But I do want to say this. Just think about this. This is a Gentile who is being exposed to the light. It's a foreshadowing. Think back to Rahab and Jericho. Think back to the Ninevites and to uh, uh, Ruth and Boaz, right? And how God would open the door for you and I, the Gentiles, to come in. Here is one more example of God saying... I'm going to open the door to anyone and everyone who will call upon my name. What a great message, amen? If that's not enough to make your light flicker just a little brighter, well, it's time for a recharge, to say the least. You know what I'm saying? Not only do we see this coming, Naaman thinks he's coming to purchase this thing, but she is sending Naaman, and she told Naaman because she's hoping that that light He'll grab hold of that light. But not only that, I want us to see the command that is given. Begin with me now in verse number 9. The Bible says, Then Naaman went with his horses and his chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be made clean. But... Now you're going to see Naaman, who is this great general, this mighty man of valor, right? He's about to pitch a fit like a child. Now hold on for that. But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He, that's Elisha, will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abani and the Pharah, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in what? Rage. He was furious. You ever seen a grown person act like a child? Perfect picture when they don't get what they want. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great... Would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? And so we went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like that of a little child and he was clean. I, want to, I just want to just plug this in here real quickly. Praise God for people with good common sense that he puts around us, amen. Praise God for some accountability partners who will say, you're getting ready to walk into a wall and you need to stop. You're getting ready to make a really bad choice and you need to hold on here because these servants, praise the Lord, they demonstrated their care for Naaman because they said, hey, listen, if it would have been something great, you would have jumped on board. This is something easy. This is something simple and the man of God has told you to do it. So what are you going to do? Praise the Lord right there. I want you to see his command. First off in this command, There is a simple surrender that has to take place, ladies and gentlemen. Every day, we have to decide to simply surrender. To sing that song, 
just how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. Or, another song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. If you don't have any joy tonight, I would ask, are you being obedient to the Word of God? If your frown is always, if you're upside down, or if you're always negative and, and, and have these difficult things in your life, I would ask, are you trusting in the Lord? Are you obeying what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from where? The Word of God. And if your joy meter is low tonight, fill up on the Word of God and be obedient. Naaman was standing on the platform of his pride, and it almost cost him everything. And when it comes to pride, it's a dangerous thing. When it comes to doing what we want to be or doing what we want to do, being selfish, uh, going our own ways, thinking our own things, and it's my path, and then I'll just include Jesus later, all those things and many more are dangerous and have no place in the life of the Christian. We are called to trust and obey. We were reading in our Sunday school class this morning uh, about the disciples and that call of the disciples in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus said two words to them in the beginning. He said, follow me. Simple. Follow me. I'll make you fishermen of men. And you know what the Bible says that happened next? He used a really good word. Immediately they left. There's got to be that action. There's got to be that, that going. There's got to be that doing. Pride is a dangerous thing. Ladies and gentlemen, Naaman did not respond well to this situation because Naaman was a victorious general. He was a man who was well thought of. He was a general. He was someone who was grand and great. Is there greatness in going and getting in a river and washing off? No. Does it sound like foolishness? Yep. Does following Jesus sound like greatness? Not to the world. When Jesus told his disciples... Go or come and follow me. They were working. They were putting food in their belly. Do you think it seemed foolish to the world when they laid down their nets, stopped what they were doing, and followed after Jesus? Sure it did. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Don't miss Naaman's response. He's getting upset, he's getting infuriated. He even says it this way, I'd just rather go back home and dip in my own waters. He told him something simple. God has told you and I something simple. To go, to teach, to be my witnesses, to live like you have the light of Christ in you in those dark places. Will we trust him? Will we follow him? See, sometimes I believe that when it comes to Naaman and people uh, who, who struggle with pride, sometimes, and, and, and let's just be honest for just a moment, some of us believe that we're a little closer to righteousness than other people, do we not? Because maybe I never drank or smoked or, or uh, did drugs, excuse me, or uh, had adultery. I paid my taxes. I actually came to church. I helped in Bible school last year. I, uh, I get to work 15 minutes early. I'm a good person. So Jesus will probably pick me over you. Self-righteousness. I think we've all struggled with that to some degree at some point. But the Bible tells us 
that there's none righteous, no, not one, and that in our trespasses we were dead. We were dead. And what good does dead do? No good. What power does dead have? None. What ability does dead have? None. Jesus himself has saved us. And we are called to simply surrender to his commandments. To simply surrender to his call. But I want us to look at this one last thing here. We're going to finish up. Start with, or look with me at now into verse 15. And the Bible says that he returned to the man of God and all of his aids and came and stood with him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all of the earth except in Israel. Capture the power in that proclamation that he makes. I want to read it one more time. He returned to the man of God and he and all of his aides and he came and he stood before him and he said, indeed, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it back, but he refused. And so Naaman said, then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth for your servant will no longer offer, catch that, your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple at Remian to worship there, he leans on my hand and I bow down in the temple. But when I bow in the temple of Remian, may the Lord please pardon his servant in this thing. And then he said to him, go in peace. There's a conversion that takes place. Did you grab hold of it? Did you see it permeating off the pages? Now just imagine Naaman, this great, uh, this great commander, this great chief, this great warrior. He's well thought of. He is looked at. His integrity is high. His moral compass is right on the money, right? And here he is, and he goes down into the river. One, two, five. And all of a sudden, that last time he gets up, his skin is like a baby. Did you notice anywhere in the scripture where he said, look at me, I look great. Look how soft my skin is now. I can feel the waters running through my toes where I couldn't feel it before. I don't have that spot on my neck. I, I don't have this spot here on my side anymore. They're all gone. I'm, I'm healed. Did you read any of that? It ain't there. What does he do instead? There is a revelation that takes place. And grab hold of this because it says this. There is no other God in all of the land except the one that is in Israel. And that tells us that there was an evidence not only of the external change, but the internal change that took place. He encountered the Lord God. He was washed not only in the waters there uh, in Israel, uh, he was washed by the healing waters of the Lord Jesus. His sin had been washed away and it changed his life. Conversion, conversion is change. And ladies and gentlemen, there has to be change in a person's life if there's going to be Evidence, like if there's no change, then I would ask, did you dip in the waters of salvation? Maybe you need to go back and dip again, right? Is there, if there's not evidence of, of a change in a person's life, what, what's happened? When you look at all the people who've encountered Christ and, they're, and they follow him, their lives do what? 
they change. Every time. Every time. Indeed, now I know. Naaman gets out of that water and something radical takes place. But not only is there a revelation, there is a renouncement. Did you catch what he said? No longer will I burn sacrifices to the other gods. Evidence more of the change. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, as Christians, we can't keep burning our sacrifices to our old ways. Amen. There's so many Christians that you talk to and you ask them, uh, have you received Jesus? Yes. Well, I'm still doing the same things I did 15 years ago when I received him. I didn't change. I still drink. I don't come to church. I don't do any of those things. I don't, I don't believe in coming to church. I don't see the need in coming to church. I just live life the way I want to live life. I would say to that person, you are in danger because when you come in close and you encounter the Lord Jesus, a change takes place. It does. It does. He leaves his old ways behind. Ruth 1 and 16, Ruth says this, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following thee, for where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. When you received Christ, when I received Christ, the old ways are gone. We can't keep burning and we can't keep coming back to the old things and try to claim hold to being a new creation in Christ. You can't do that. That's not what Jesus has called you to do. There has to be a severing. You've got to cut those ties. We must simply surrender. And then there's finally this realization. He has to go back to work tomorrow. And what does he say to the prophet? He says, hey, listen. This man's going to lean on me when I go in this temple. And I'm, I'm going to bow down there, but I'm not bowing with my heart. You see, his heart has been changed. He doesn't want to provoke the Lord. He doesn't want to say that his heart is, is bowing down in that temple with his master. His heart is bowed to the Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, wherever you find yourself in life, when I used to work at, at Liberty University, it was really easy to talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus all day long because we're the world's largest Christian university, and I could do that. When we're in church, it's easy to talk about Jesus. But what about when we're not in church? What about when we're not at Bible study or we're not at the church event? Stand up, stand up for Jesus, soldiers of the cross, amen? Hold high your royal banner, right? You gotta hold that thing high. And Naaman is already sitting here knowing that he's going to go back into that stuff, but his heart is going to stay true to the Lord. Now, this final point that I want to make, and we're going to be finished, is the contrast. Without reading it all, because there's quite a few verses there, you're introduced to his servant, Jehazi. And I talked a little bit tonight about it with our students. See, Naaman was a commander of the army of Syria, and Jehazi was the servant of the man of God. Jehazi was close to the man of God, as he performed the miracles that God told him to, he was close to the man of God as he spoke on behalf of God. And he was close to the man of God as they journeyed throughout the land doing the will of God. But if you read about old Jehazi, you'd find some things that you wouldn't like. Needless to say, 
he didn't look in the mirror much. He didn't look in the mirror much and he wasn't honest with what was going on in his heart because he lies to Naaman. He deceives him. In his heart, he gets greedy and he wants all those things that Naaman brought to pay for his salvation. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to get them. And then what does he do? He gets them. He deceives Naaman. He tricks him. He lies to him. And he says, Elijah needs these things. I'm here on behalf of Elijah. I need these things. And so Naaman being a person whose heart's changed, he just says, okay, here you go. You can have them. No questions asked. If the man of God needs them, go ahead, take them. Jehazi takes them back to his house, and Elijah says, where you been? And what does he do? He lies to the man of God. Greed had so captured his heart, he lies to the man of God. Then, Elijah calls him out on it. He says, hey, listen, I, I know where you've been. And I know that greed has captured your heart. And because you've done these things, the leprosy that was on Naaman is going to be on you and your descendants, so on, down the line. But you know, as I was reading that, ladies and gentlemen, to me, the biggest travesty there, the, where my heart breaks the most at, is that Jehazi thought he was okay. Being close to the man of God, hearing what the man of God had to say, seeing the man of God work, and yet his heart was completely away from the man of God. And so what's the tragedy? He got cast away. No longer could he be with the man of God. There are many people who believe that proximity to the people of God being a part of the hearing of the Word of God, seeing the miraculous take place with lives being changed, that those things count as markers that you've been saved. But if you've not washed in the waters of Jesus Christ, if His blood hasn't washed you and washed away that sin, washed away that, that leprosy, the curse of this world, you've not really been washed in the waters and you're still sick. And that's the message that we need to tell those people who are around us. Notice that Naaman was a Gentile and he was on the outside. He was once lost, but now he is found. And Jehazi, who was found, he was close to the man of God. By all rights, people would say, he's a Christian. He's on the outside. So now we, as the bride of Christ, as the people of God, as we come and we sing this song, Just As I Am, and we look back at that man in the mirror, back at that person in the mirror, we must ask ourselves, am I a person who understands that I was once lost and the people around me are lost? Do we find ourselves coming to God, leaning on God? Do we find ourselves obeying His commands? And is there evidence when we look in that mirror and we analyze our motives and we analyze our intentions and our hearts and our thoughts and our mind and everything, is there evidence that I've been washed in the living water? God has spoken to your heart tonight. If you will pray with me, God, we thank you. 
tonight for your word. We thank you that, God, there's power in your word and that, Lord, we uh, trust with you or trust in you today, God, to lead us into all the things that you have ahead of us. Lord, we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.